Diversity and inclusion has always been in our DNA. Um, we know we've had work to do, um, but for, since the beginning, um, you know, we've had a really active, I was actually quite surprised when I joined of how active and how robust our employee resource groups were already within the organization for such a young organization. Um, so we know we're just at the beginning of our journey, um, but we felt very passionate that we needed to make a public commitment um, to be an anti-racist organization. We know that we had work to do um, on our part to combat systemic racism, and we committed um, you know, to ensuring that we had the resources to do to, right? The right platform, um, the ability to influence change um, for our society for the better. We knew that we had a commitment to do that, and our CEO and founder, John Foley, feels very strongly about that. That was Peloton SVP and Global Head of People, Sherry Eaton, on their plans to become an anti-racist company and the Peloton Pledge. We're going to get into that and so much more in today's podcast. So we'll be back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Redefining HR, one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to PINHQ.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. Reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now, on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Redefining HR podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I am very excited to be joined by the SVP and Global Head of People for Peloton, Sherry Eaton. Sherry and I are going to discuss her background and all of the uh, nuances of building a people strategy at a rapidly scaling organization. So there's so much to cover there. Um, Sherry, let me turn it over to you just for a quick introduction and background on you for the listeners. We'll dig right in. Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Lars. Um, As you mentioned, I'm the Senior Vice President of Global uh, Head of People for Peloton. Um, My role is essentially to support all of our team members across all Peloton sites and facilities around the globe. Um, As you might expect, um, we uh, support the typical HR functions. Um, In addition to that, I also lead safety and security and workplace operations globally. Um, As you mentioned, we've been super busy over the last uh, couple of years, really kind of building the foundation uh, for our human resources platform, um, building COEs, uh, including the safety and security functions from the ground up um, since I joined in September 2019. Uh, Prior to that, I worked for many years and uh, different roles at Starbucks Coffee Company, as well as Tivana and, and Amazon. Yeah, and so you, uh, there, there's so much with your current role I want to get into. Um, but before we do that, I want to just start. You know, you, your role, as you mentioned, you spent some many years with Starbucks and Tivan Amazon before joining Peloton. You know, the the role at Peloton, Peloton was the first role that um, had HR as part of the scope of, of oversight. So, what what was it for you about HR that that kind of got you interested in, in moving into that space? Yeah. So first, I mean, yes, I've been an operations leader for most of my career. Um, When I think about the things that 
get me the most joy, the things that get me out of bed every day. It's uh, one, you know, solving big problems. And then two, uh, helping people develop and exceed the expectations of what they thought they could achieve. So when I uh, was contemplating the move over to Peloton, um, you know, I really was thinking about what is it that what is it that I'm really passionate about? What gives me purpose? Um, you know, during my time at Starbucks and Amazon, I was lucky enough to be an in, in operations leader that spent a lot of time um, with the HR team. Uh, whether it was, you know, building out scrappy tools and processes and programs alongside the team, um, thinking about how we could bring our team's competencies and skills to the next level so we could scale some of these uh, organizations that have uh, been lucky to be a part of. That all gives me great satisfaction. Um, in addition to that, uh, I've, I've been someone who has cared deeply about just learning and de development throughout my, my time um, uh, at Starbucks and Amazon. I uh, founded our Starbucks Women's Development Network on the East Coast. Um, this is the type of work I love. Uh, I love leaning in on leaders' development, fostering their growth. Um, and one thing I've always said is if, if you've ever been a uh, an ops leader of a large team, uh, particularly with hourly populations like I've been, you really do need to be an effective people leader. So uh, sort of that part strategist, part HR, part advisor, part operator. Um, <laughs> but honestly, I didn't even begin to think about a career in HR um, until I was having a really uh, great career conversation with my leader at Amazon. And uh, she'd noticed how I'd been leaning in to the HR space. And we were just talking about what was next, you know, next for me. And she uh, said, hey, have you ever considered a role in HR? I could, you know, see you doing XYZ person's job. And um, it took me a little bit by surprise. You know, I it wasn't something I think I'd considered. Um, I was open to the idea of it. She herself didn't have a traditional linear path. She'd worked in operations as well as in the HR function. Um, I think I responded with something like, but I'm an operator, you know, and so <laughs> she made me realize how important that skill is in the HR world. Um, when I look back now, a year and a half in um, at Peloton in the on the people team, I, I totally get it. I actually feel like, and I mentioned this to her recently, that this is the work that I was meant to be doing. Um, and actually everything I did prior supports um, this moment in time for me. So uh, it was a bit of an evolution and uh, something I uh, have leaned into heavily and enjoyed every last second of it so far. Yeah. I mean, I love hearing that, that story, especially with you talking to, you know, the getting the guidance around the, the ops background and how that crossed over. I mean, I think that the the role of a of a CHRO, chief people officer, whatever the title might be, has evolved so much over the last couple of years. And that that business acumen, that that HR acumen has become something that is so essential. And so it's interesting, you know, I, I think we we certainly see more of this where people that are, uh, as you mentioned, kind of nonlinear career paths moving into this role because they bring that business acumen. Um, you know, for you, obviously you, you've been leading, leading large kind of ops focused teams and roles and business units. And clearly there's a, a huge, uh, people kind of component to that work, even if your title isn't CHRO or CPO before you got to Peloton, you know, now you're at Peloton and you're in kind of uh, more of an immediate oversight role of that function among other things that were part of your scope when you first came in. What was that transition like for you, like directly overseeing the, the HR and people function for the first time? 
Yeah. Well, first, I'm really grateful that I work for a fantastic company and I had wonderful people around me to help me get me up to speed. Um, you know, their welcoming nature, the desire to help me learn, ask questions and understand what I needed was absolutely critical in my early days here. Um, I think this is where the ops background pays off. You know, my approach in my first 90 days was to spend significant time with the business leaders getting to know their business model and their needs. So I pretty much hit the the ground uh, hard when I started running, um, you know, working with the field operations teams out in our warehouse locations, our, our retail uh, team members, our member support team in Plano, Texas, and our studio teams, 70% um, of our organization sits in those field populations. So my priority was, hey, let's let me approach this from a fact-finding uh, mission and, and understand uh, what is what does that look like, right? I spent time traveling to the warehouses. What do the team members do on a daily basis? You know, what obstacles do they encounter? What mechanisms do they have in place already for their teams to learn, grow, develop, stay connected? Um, et cetera, and, and where do they need support? Um, and so, of course, I was assessing not only from a people perspective, <laughs> do we have strong communication flow, our managers creating an inclusive environment, but also from a safety perspective, ensuring we had a strong safety culture um, is a top engagement factor. And so, um, I again, I just spent most of my time in listening mode. Um, and, and again, since since a large part of the organization sits in the field, I just wanted to make sure that I could stay focused, make sense, um, have a vivid understanding of their work. Um, they already had this incredible camaraderie and culture that I was, it was so good to get to as many sites as I could to understand how strongly embedded that was in the organization. Um, and so that really was 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 excellent. And certainly because I started in September 2019, right? And as we look at 2020 and what's evolved, um, you know, March 13th or something like that, we went down into um, into shelter in place. And so having had those months to really critically understand what our teams do on a regular basis, that really helped me to understand what we needed to do to support our teams um, throughout the pandemic from a people and from a safety and security standpoint. You know, the other piece uh, for me as I took on this, this role, which started off as a, a VP of people ops role and then it turned into the role it is today, um, was to make sure that I was hiring with deep expertise, right? So some of the first few hires that I made were, um, were people that had deep expertise in people business partnerships, deep expertise in safety and security, deep expertise in talent management and talent development. And so um, compensation, that really helped me to build out the COEs with really fantastic leadership um, to be able to grow and scale as quickly as we needed to, uh, particularly over the past year. Yeah, and I want to I want to dig into that a little bit more because I mean you you joined at, at such an interesting time. So you you know you join in as you mentioned September of 2019. You're, you're kind of going through your your own executive onboarding and and listening tour and kind of meeting with all those different constituents you just walked through. Uh, you're building a talent strategy for that world, and then in March we get a new world, and it completely you know changes the the dynamic of how work is happening and shifting to remote and uh you know how did you go about adapting and i think you know it, it impacted peloton obviously in very uh unique ways in terms of 
the, the demand and growth of the products and platforms and business. And I want to cover that in a minute, but just broadly, like as you're, as you have kind of one roadmap for a talent people strategy that was pre pandemic and then things shift overnight, how did you, how did you design and kind of adjust your, your people strategy and prioritize like what your team was working on under these new kind of dual pressures of the, the, the massive shift to remote for your employee populations that could do that. Uh, but then also this, this immense, uh, you know, explosion in demand for your products and services. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I look back on, um, that, that time frame, and I, I actually can't believe how much we've accomplished. We had to pivot nearly overnight to a work from home situation. And that wasn't just in the US, of course, but that was our teams in Canada, UK, Germany, Taiwan. Um, first and foremost, my team prioritized everyone's safety. Um, we needed to make sure that as we were learning information information at lightning speed uh, from the CDC and the World Health Organization, um, that we were building SOPs, playbooks, um, you know, ensuring that we thought through our, uh, our team member safety as our number one priority. And so that was happening in parallel with thinking through how we would adapt all of our processes um, to a work from home world. Um, it was actually uh, quite uh, um, interesting to see our teams work together in such a fantastic way. We essentially moved, you know, 300 plus member support team members overnight to a situation where they were working from home using Peloton uh, tech um, and working through what does that look like? What are the SOPs? How can we support them? How can we make sure that they're comfortable, that they're productive, that they're engaged? Um, and so that was a massive undertaking. We also took our retail teams and did exactly the same thing. We were not prepared to do that, um, but we did that pretty much in a couple of weeks and got everyone productive um, so that we could support our um, members. First and foremost, we had such a, um, an increase in the demand for our products that our success really hinged on making sure that our team members were ready to do the job that they needed to do. So we essentially got our retail teams, our member support teams uh, functional and ready um, to be able to, to work with our members. Um, to your point, we had a people strategy where we were starting to think about how do we create a you know talent management, um, a global talent management function, right? How do we think about um, ensuring that we're driving development across the organization? Again, we're such a young company that a lot of that work still needed to happen. So what I would say is I always break the pandemic down into kind of three chunks. There was the immediate crisis. Um, that's where me and, and my team went into uh, a war room situation where we were just figuring out how do we enable the teams? How do we keep folks safe? How do we ensure that the teams have what they need? People are feeling um, good about this this transition as as much as they could. So that was phase one. Phase two was okay. Now that that's happening and the team is is functioning in a way that we've got some established SOPs. We we move to you know delivering our our bikes um, you know at the doorstep versus coming into people's homes as an example. Now how do we think about it from hey, what is it that we need to accomplish this year in order to support our team in for, even further? So it was mental health health um, initiatives that um, we had started that we were 
able to finish off on and, and, and update all of our benefit structure. It was the talent management work that we needed to do around ensuring that folks were having great quality conversations. If you think about it, if you're working from home and everyone is remote, the most important thing you can do is figure out how you provide those points of connectivity so that our team members and our and their leaders are having regular conversations talking about how they're doing how what do they need in order to feel um, like they're they're moving the their goals forward and so we actually rolled out not only a whole talent management process and strategy leveling leveling guidelines titling all within that sort of second phase uh, of the pandemic, if you will. And and now I feel like we're in this third phase where now we're starting to kind of come out of this and say, okay, what's the future of work? How do we make sure that, you know, we're getting our teams uh, set up to return back to the office or return back to um, a different normal? I don't call it the new normal because I think it's just a different normal. Right. And, um, and, and, and we're in the process of, of assessing that right now. I'm really enjoying this conversation with Sherry. After a brief update on a new initiative that I want to share with all of you, we're going to continue the conversation and get into some other topics ranging from how she's thinking about return to workplace for their employees around the world, their stance and approach on becoming an anti-racist company, and much more. So we'll be right back with part two after a brief message. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to take a brief break to share a new initiative that I think you'll find helpful. Redefining HR started with this podcast and evolved into a best-selling book laying a framework for modern HR and people operations. I'm excited to share the next evolution, the Redefining HR Accelerator. The Accelerator is a full platform to build, inspire, and support the next generation of people leaders, including cohort programs, courses, open source resources, and most importantly, community. Thanks to listeners like you, Redefining HR is now broadened into a entire platform focused on building readiness for tomorrow's HR today. Learn more at redefininghr.com. And now, back to the show. Yeah. And how do you go about doing that? Like, as you, because I know a lot of CHROs and, and chief people officers and just businesses in general are beginning to think through their return to work plans. And obviously there's still a lot of uncertainty that you're having to kind of navigate on, on top of, right? We, we, we don't, you know, as vaccine levels um, continue to climb, we, you know, it, it, we're having ideas of things like when schools might be reopening and other support systems that will allow, that will make it easier for employees to go back into the office. But as a leader, how do you think about kind of guiding the business through those, those conversations and considerations as you, as you begin planning for phase three? Well, it, it, it requires a lot of listening to our team members. First, um, we leverage, you know, sort of the, the normal engagement survey you know, uh, mechanisms to be able to um, to understand how our teams are feeling about working from home. How do they feel about returning to the workplace? So we've gathered data 
Um, and on top of that, one of the things that we did during the pandemic was to increase the amount of all hands communications that we were having with our team. So just communicating early and often was one of the key principles for us during the pandemic. So every four weeks, we have an all hands, we collect feedback, we see what's on uh, folks' minds, and that's really helped to inform um, our strategy. Um, like everyone else, we can't wait for things to open up. Um, more and safely, and we're super excited about the vaccine rollout. So uh, we've brought together a, uh, a future of work tiger team. A couple of things um, there. I've I've myself been very involved in a couple of different HR, you know, research centers and consortiums, informal and and uh, informal networks, right? To make sure I'm locking in with what's happening across. Um, different organizations and be able to, you know, share work and get great ideas, share what we're doing. Um, and so we've actually been driving an initiative around the future of work, uh, thinking about that hybrid work environment. How do we ensure that, you know, as we all sitting home today, everyone's on equal footing, right? Making sure we provide that real equitable um, and engaging workforce, a workplace, regardless of whether or not you're, you're, you're working remotely, you're working at one of our sites in, you know, Texas or California, Atlanta or New York, um, and really starting to build out that experience uh, for our teammates. We're, um, we are, we do have folks that are working in our offices today. We have created a return to work strategy. Uh, we have all of our safety uh, precautions in place. Um, and that's and that's going fantastic, and we'll just build off of that as we think about more folks returning um, in uh, in late fall timeframe. Got it. Yeah, and that uh, that that makes sense, and it, especially hearing kind of as you're you're tapping into some of the both external resources and networks, and obviously a, a diverse kind of tiger team internally to determine how how you implement and kind of what that looks like. Um, I want to shift gears to to talk a little bit about culture. Uh, and, and in particular, I know that Peloton as an organization really leans in on culture and values as a differentiator, you know, for, for both the business uh, and the, uh, you know, both kind of internally and externally. Uh, and I'm curious from your perspective, particularly as you've been leading Peloton through this rapid growth and scaling uh, that's been taking place since you've been there, how do you think about actually scaling culture and and kind of being remaining true to your values as you continue to grow. Yeah, that's a great question. We we have a fantastic culture at Peloton. It's it's um, you know, our values are putting our members first, operating with a bias for action, empowering teams of smart creatives and together we go far. Um, those values have served us very well. Um, we embed them in everything we do from the, you know, recruitment process, hiring process, you know, our performance management process, how we how we talk, how we think, how we bring ideas to the table. And so it is we are at an inflection point um, as we think about our growth to say, how do we capture that kind of magic in a bottle right as we grow and scale at a rapid clip? Um, and so we've we've been we've been doing some really great work across the organization over the past few months of really gathering our key stakeholders, uh, going really deep within the organization to talk a little bit about what is how does what does the culture mean to our team members? How does it show up? What does it mean? What is that what does that behavior look like when it shows up every day in our everyday work? And what we've come to realize is we is we have we have some paradoxes. We've got some you know we're generally kind, but we're also ultra high 
performance, right? We've got, we're humble and we've got low egos, but we also have this relentless drive and ambition. Um, and so we're starting to put together um, our EVP, which is work that my team has been uh, doing such a great job with and, and thinking about not only how do we um, promote that, how do we, how do we share what it's like to work at Peloton externally, but then what does that look like internally from a behavior standpoint? Um, and, and how do we make sure that those behaviors are really clear across the organization? They're built into our recognition strategy. Again, they're built into our performance strategy. And that's work where, whereas we have, we have these wonderful values, we hadn't really gotten as crisp on the behaviors that, as we needed to. And that's yeah. what the EVP work is doing for us. It's really exciting. We're at the, we're at sort of the tip of it. I can't wait to be able to, um, to implement it within the team and get our executives really excited about sharing this with the organization. Organization. Yeah, and I think you know I like the way that you approach it in terms of uh, you know translating it to behaviors that you can then embed and reinforce throughout your people processes, right? Because that's as you as you scale and grow, those will be the anchors that will ensure you're able to do so in a way that kind of stays true to the culture and values. Um, and you know we we talked about some of the events last year pertaining to the the pandemic and obviously the the shift in the business and, and, and shifting to remote and some of the implications of that to your team. But there was another, you know, seismic event last year as well in terms of George Floyd's murder and the, the outcry around racism and, and social justice and equity that, that followed that and the, the beyond even the protests. And I remember distinctly at the time, you know, Peloton came out with what, what you framed as your Peloton pledge, which was a, a four year $100 million commitment in the fight against racial injustice and inequity, um, including a, a very kind of clear commitment to anti-racism. And, you know, I'd love to kind of get inside of that process. Like, why was it so important for Peloton to take this, this public stance and kind of make these commitments? Yeah, well, first, I would say, um, you know, diversity and inclusion has always been in our DNA. Um, we know we've had work to do, um, but for, since the beginning, um, you know, we've had a really active, I was actually quite surprised when I joined, of how active and how robust our employee resource groups were already within the organization for such a young organization. Um, so we know we're just at the beginning of our journey, um, but we felt very passionate that we needed to make a public commitment um, to be an anti-racist organization. We know that we had work to do um, on our part to combat systemic racism, and we committed um, you know, to ensuring that we had the resources to do to, right? The right platform, um, the ability to influence change um, for our society for the better. We knew that we had a commitment to do that, and our CEO and founder, John Foley, feels very strongly about that. So we made that commitment, as you mentioned, to the Peloton Pledge. Um, it has, it's multifaceted, it's multi-year. We're um, kind of in the beginning phases of, of it right now. We wanted to come out strongly right away and say, you know, we want to do our part. And so we committed um, investing uh, $60 million to increase the hourly wages of our workforce. Um, and that was effective July 1st. That was our first big, um, you know, uh, commitment that we made. Uh, we also committed to, um, making sure that we invested in learning and development uh, across all of our, our hourly teammates. Again, we think we can make a, a huge difference in trying to um, unlock the potential within our teammates, ensure that they have a way to move from 
um, you know, maybe they can move from a member support customer facing role, we can provide them with some tools, resources, certificates, training, um, education, and have them move through and start coding and being on our tech team, right? And so we think we have a, a huge um, opportunity in which to do that. Um, and then ultimately, you know, we believe that um, that training our teams, working truly from the inside out was something that we wanted to do. And so that's why most of this um, pledge really focuses on getting our teams better, getting us to be um, the anti-racist organization that we know that we can be. We are committed to focusing on training um, and not just, you know, unconscious bias training, right? But really going deep with our executive team. We heard through our listening sessions with our team members um, that we needed to start, uh, we need to really think about how do we make sure that this is coming top down? And so we've got a wonderful initiative across our executive team. We're all going through a transformative journey, which started um, four or five months ago. We'll start to take our all of our leaders through prototyping and inclusion, inclusion and activating allyship, two different uh, programs that will bring all of our managers through and then ultimately make available for all of our teammates as well. Um, so we're truly committed to becoming a true an anti-racist organization. We're going to continue to build out a long-term agenda, which includes DNI goals. Um, again, beginning immediately with this learning opportunity, and then ultimately a review and a report out of our diversity data um, and really holding ourselves uh, accountable to that. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think, you know, we in in the field of, you know, HR and people ops, we've been, uh, we've been having conversations obviously around, you know, diversity and more recently diversity and equity and inclusion, but the conversation around, you know, anti-racism specifically from an organizational standpoint is fairly new. And so I, I appreciate the clarity with which you're thinking about that and kind of sharing how you're approaching it. I'd love to get your perspective. I'm sure there are listeners out there, some of your peers and contemporaries who, um, you know, maybe are interested in kind of steering their organizations more towards having uh, an anti-racist platform as opposed to, you know, just, you know, limiting their, their thinking to purely diversity inclusion efforts. What advice might you have for your, your peers and contemporaries, other CHROs out there that uh, maybe want to take a bolder stance uh, and, and, and specifically an anti-racist stance as a corporate platform? Um, what, what are some things that they need to be thinking about as they're you know, designing and kind of talking with their executive counterparts about that initiative? Yeah, I think it again. I think it all starts with listening to start off with, you know, I, and that's where we began our journey. Is again, we have strong and and highly engaged uh, ERGs who, uh, not only are we listening to to those groups, and they're so important and they're so passionate about what they do. They care deeply. They challenge us to be the best that we can be. But really, um, I would encourage uh, any. Um, HR leader to listen to your team, hold some listening sessions, uh, understand what people feel, what is the lived experiences that they're having within the organization, um, and be open to receiving that feedback. Um, even yeah. in the most fantastic organizations that have the strongest cultures, there's always going to be opportunities. There's always going to be um, you know, experiences that you may not, you may not be aware of, you may not be living them yourself. And so be open to that. Second, I think is, you know, we, we found a really great partner to help us think differently about this and not just, um, and not just a, again, a one, a one and done training, but really thinking about how do you make this, 
um, part of the culture? How do you make this part of what you do um, every day? And so I think that's really critical. And then lastly, it's, you know, the executive team um, has to really want it. You know, our team was very committed um, to this and they are, they are setting the example um, by being the first group of leaders in the organization to go through this transform journey that we're on um, and really examining um, their, their own, you know, their own selves and their own leadership. Um, it, running alongside that, um, some kind of inclusivity audit, you know, we've been auditing uh, all of the processes and the policies and how we get work done at Peloton. And I think that's really important to cast a critical eye on that and be open to the fact that um, while it may not be intentional, right, there might be bias within the organization. And so we're we're um, we're looking at that. We're putting a critical eye on it, and we're committed to ensuring again that we're the, the fact of being an anti-racist organization is active, right? It's an active right um, stance, and that's really where that's really what I would recommend. Yeah, well, no, that's all very uh, very practical tips, and I appreciate that. I think particularly that that third point around the executive buy-in and adoption and role modeling of this. I think that that is so important, um, particularly in organizations that you know, might try to frame the conversation around diversity as an HR initiative, uh, which is, you know, we, we have to think bigger than that. We have to think more broadly than that. Um, Sherry, one thing I'd love to get your perspective on, you know, I, I really enjoy learning more about your background and your experience. Um, I want to close out with something that we do here called the lightning round. And this is basically to help listeners get to know you a little bit better uh, outside of work. So are you ready for this? I am ready. All right. So, I'm peeping your Spotify playlist. What will I learn are your top three artists that you're on frequent rotation? Um, actually, I'll, I'll be a little bit broad if that's okay. Anything alternative rock from the 90s is going to show up in my playlist. Uh, think ah, okay. uh, Sirius, Sirius XM Lithium on repeat in my car, <laughs> all, all, <laughs> whatever I'm in there. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, I could, uh, I, I think we'll have a lot of similar soundtracks in that case. Um, what is your, actually, I'm curious this, this in particular, I think kind of with your background, what is your least favorite HR buzzword? I am probably guilty of guilty of using every HR buzzword there is, but I, <laughs> I think that, um, what I've pivoted away from is this, is the work-life balance and more towards yeah. work-life harmony. Work-life harmony is how we're really talking about it um, in, in at Peloton in terms of bringing your whole self. So I think if I had to pick one, it's probably that one. Yeah. It's so, I mean, if the pandemic has done anything, I think it's shattered this, this notion of this like complete separation between work and life. That's just, I think it was never really, uh, never really that, uh, you know, connected to how we actually live and work. So I, I'm, I'm glad to see that move on. Um, so I know I can't ask you your favorite instructor. That would be a loaded question. But what is your favorite Peloton class? Gosh, it's so that's such a hard one to answer. But I would say I love all of our artist series classes. I'm so um I'm just so in awe of our music teams and our content teams and how they can bring some of those series together, like Beyonce and the Beatles. And uh, it's just amazing. Um, I will generally gravitate towards anything, surprise, surprise, 80s or 90s on my rides. Um, I generally will spend most of my time on the bike, although I do I do like to um, to practice yoga as well. All right. 
Uh, let's see. And so ordinarily this question is, if you weren't in HR, what would you be doing? I'm going to go ahead and scale that to HR or operations. I'm going to take both of your career tracks off the table. Uh, if you were doing something entirely different, what would it be? You know, I'm not sure. I think I would be doing something, whatever I would be doing, I would do it to make people's experiences amazing. I'm sort of that person that, um, like, even in my personal life with my family, I um, I plan every last meal, every last experience we have, every last people come to me and say, hey, Sherry, can you plan my vacations? That's me in a nutshell. So I would probably be planning something to make someone's experience awesome. All right. And Sherry, last lightning round question for you. Uh, who is one HR practitioner you admire and why? You know, Marisa Andrada, um, who is currently the CPO and diversity officer of, of Chipotle, is is the person that when I think about HR and HR leadership and progressive HR leadership, she was really the first leader that I was like, wow, dynamic, yet down to earth, had a big vision for people's growth in the organization. And I know she carried that work through not only um, Starbucks, which is where I know her from, but to her current role at Chipotle. I think she's just a well-rounded um, supporter and um, fantastic uh, leader. All right. Well, Sherry, I really enjoy the conversation. Thanks so much for uh, making time to come on and share your work and your uh, career story on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Lars. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.